Franchising is the most misunderstood and most overlooked form of entrepreneurship. We're here to educate you and help you find the entrepreneur within. Franchising is not all about the French fries. We find that individuals who are exploring business ownership tend to have a lot of misperceptions and misunderstandings about the franchise industry. So what we want to do is help prospective business owners make confident and educated decisions before moving forward or not moving forward with the business. Welcome to Unpredicted Entrepreneur. Hi, welcome to episode 29 of Unpredicted Entrepreneur. I'm Roxanne Rapsky, and this is my colleague, Sarah Wasco. We created this podcast to bring you education and information about entrepreneurship and all things franchising. Today, our guest is Chris King. He is a performance coach, an entrepreneur, and an author. I've got his book here. It's called Renegotiate Your Existence, Unlock Your Impossible Life with Emphasis on Possible. So Chris... Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We're excited to have you. You do a lot of work around mindset and um, clearing out the cobwebs, so to speak, to, to get through a lot of breakthrough work. But before we get into that and how that applies to making changes in your life, kind of give us the rundown of how this all came to be how you got started, some of the really hard left and right turns you took before starting your business nine years ago. Wow. Okay. Um, You know, I was like anybody else. I was doing the corporate thing and working along the path. And one day I recognized I was just so far out of alignment with who I am and how I want to live that, uh, that I needed to to create a a pivot for myself. Um, I didn't expect that that was going to happen. And I certainly couldn't have predicted the, uh, I want to say the violent nature of it because I went from what was pretty, a pretty safe kind of gig uh, into the entertainment industry, which was very low paying and very unstable. And the chances of of success were incredibly low. So, um, but that, that sort of taught me that, you know, you, you can do the impossible. You just need to understand how to, how to get out of your own way and, and how to get your, your physiology and your psychology working for you instead of against you. Reading your book, I kind of feel like you're more of a therapist than, I mean, I can see how coaching and therapy kind of go hand in hand, but so you did the corporate thing, you left corporate, you became a radio, you went to work on a radio station, actually became a disc jockey, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was on the air. I sent a joke. I I was working in my office one day in my home office in Orange County. And, uh, and I sent a, what I call a joke grenade to Ryan Seacrest. And, uh, and he's in the studios in uh, Burbank, which is not too far from where I live. And they emailed me back to my surprise. Cause it was just, you know, a joke grenade, you throw it out and forget about it kind of thing. Well, they emailed me back. Long story short, they created a month long bit around the joke that I had sent them. And they had me in the studio one day with Ryan and his co-host at the time. And, uh, and when I got home that night, everything it, just to the core, to the fabric of my being was like, I'm, I'm in the wrong life. Like I'm in the wrong job. I'm in the wrong town. I'm in the wrong apartment. Everything was wrong. And I knew exactly what I needed to do, um, which was, was difficult because radio, as I mentioned, it was very low paying. It was highly unstable. The chances of getting a gig are 
very low. And I had a life that required a six-figure income. And um, so I threw it in the garbage can and went after a dream. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's definitely a hard turn. So then through this process, you end up working at a hospital and writing articles for doctors and learning about the biology of the brain, right? Yeah. As fun as radio was, uh, I was born and raised on the beach in Santa Monica, so I'm not comfortable being broke. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, you know, and, and my credit went to crap and, you know, I just, I, I pretty much lost everything. And so after a decade of struggling, I thought, you know, maybe I need to get a grown up job again. And so I had an in at, uh, at a hospital here in Southern California, ended up working uh, in the neuroscience Institute and, and I wasn't clinical. I didn't have a background. The closest I got to anything in the, anything even remotely related to healthcare was my mother working for the red cross and disaster services. Right. Um, but I, I kind of got an accidental education in neurobiology because I started writing papers and doing presentations and working with the physicians because they're not the greatest presenters. Um, and and I would even write articles for some of the uh, some of the stuff that that would be attributed to the physicians because physicians are only going to write read things that other physicians wrote. So I would do all the research and write it, get the physician to sign it, and they would get it attributed to them. But that's so that's how I kind of oh, wow. stumbled forward in that life. I'm confused though. You went from a corporate job <laughs> to a disc jockey. <laughs> so how did you? get that gig. And then <laughs> you left, you weren't making enough money and that all makes sense. But then to end up in a hospital, I mean, we talk with clients a lot about not having to have experience when they start a franchise, but I'm really, these are very drastic turns. So I, I need a little more help understanding how you went I can kind of see how you could go from corporate to a disc jockey, but from disc jockey to writing these articles for doctors, like how did you, how did you get in? I'm sorry. How'd you get that job? <laughs> <Just Yeah. kidding. laughs> well, like I said, I had an in at the hospital that knew I had a marketing background. And okay. so that, that helped. Right. Um, but there were a few times in my life when I wanted something so bad. It, it, it was like I had, I had just, bent the universe to my will. Um, and so, and I, and I understood what real commitment looked like, what real focus looked like, what, what an attitude of no quit, no matter what looked like, you know, the, it's, it's more than commitment. It's true resolve. Um, and ultimately reality unfold, the unfolding of reality, the, as we are experiencing it right now, it's a process. It's a system. And any system can be hacked and bent and changed if you understand how that system works. Now, I didn't know this consciously at the time. It was just stuff I figured out as I stumbled through my life. But ultimately, this, this is exactly how you can make the impossible a reality. It, it has to do with it's all it all starts right up here in your mind. And in the mix of all this, you ended up getting a certificate in spiritual psychology as well. So a lot yes. of study yeah. on the brain. I, um, 
I, I was never a school guy, so I never finished a four-year degree. I, I somehow accidentally got an associate's degree in liberal, liberal, liberal arts. I still don't know what that is. Um, but Did you say literal uh, arts? Liberal. Not, liberal arts. Whatever liberal arts are. I think it's, oh. I mean, just, it's like general education. I don't know. I really don't <laughs> know what Liberal arts. Okay. Yes. But I got that from a junior college and flamed out because, you know, school was just not for me. And um just too many rules. I'm, I'm a color outside the box kind of guy. I mean, when I was a kid, my teachers consistently said that I was disruptive and I couldn't agree more um, <laughs> because that really is the crux of what we do, you know, in my organization and, and the process that we go through. It's very disruptive um, because that's how we're going to change things. So, um, so, so that yeah, started at a young age, that disruption was from childhood that you uh, recognized. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, as I track back through my history, how I seem to be part of it is a really dysfunctional upbringing in psychology. Um, of course, I guess that implies there's, a, there's another kind, but, uh, but, but the <laughs> others, uh, maybe wiring just, I seem to be wired a certain way. It's, it's interesting how those traits as a child, you know, I'm going to use the analogy that you shared in the book with, um, for those of you that are old enough to know who David Lee Roth is, um, but it was interesting about his, him being a child and everyone wanting that his parents to put him on Ridland because of his activity level. Um, and he ended up being this amazing entertainer, right. And, and using that to his advantage. So, um, yeah. 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 His, instead of, instead of drugging him and instead of suggesting that he was somehow broken or something needed to be fixed, they did what we call in my world a reframe. Right. So they said, OK, you know, and, and instead, like, so he'd get all hopped up and, and goofing around as, as his blood sugar would get up. And instead of drugging him and numbing him out, they just said, you know, his parents would say, oh, that's David's just doing monkey hour. And David said, you know, I turned monkey hour into a career. And and that's exactly one of the things that we look at in our organization is that everything about you is a gift. There's nothing about you that's broken or screwed up or wrong. Those are simply misidentifications. And if you understand this thing about me that I may not even like is in fact a gift, then I can ask the question, how might that be true? And I can put it into service in some way that aligns for me. I love that. I love that. Instead of drugging up and kind of covering up some trait that might be perceived as negative, really learning how to use that to your advantage, how to benefit from it and how to like David Lee Roth, make a career out of it in some way, you know? Well, and I think society right. and people's beliefs put a lot of stuff on us. And I think a lot of this relates to people that are going through our process, which we're going to get into, but you know, there's so many times people will share with someone that they're thinking about starting a business or they're looking at businesses or they're working with us. And then you get all those people that have all these comments and, you know, just kind of like poo poo it. And then it's just people put their stuff on you. And regardless if it's your if you're overactive or you're trying to get out of corporate, you're like, why would you leave? We, we had a founder of a um, franchise on a while back and everyone thought she was crazy to leave her six figure Microsoft job and go off and start this business. Probably like a lot of people thought you were crazy when you left your six figure marketing corporate job to go <laughs> be a disc jockey. <laughs> um, so now I thought I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so now nine years ago, you launched your business. 
Tell yeah, us a I, little uh, bit. That, that was another crazy one. Um, I, uh, I got fired from a job. I left the hospital and I went to work uh, for another tech company because that was my upbringing, my background, and I, and I liked tech. Um, ultimately, it was, not, it was not a good fit for me. And that lasted for about nine months and I got fired. And there was a guy in my network at the time that when I first met him, which was only maybe six months before, he said, man, I wish you worked for me. I guess he really liked me. And, um, and I called him right? Because I just got fired. I was like, well, remember when you said that? And he did commercial real estate. And so I went down and I met with him again. And, you know, he kind of took me through his office and, um, and I left there thinking I can make a lot of money. I can make a really good living here. Um, and then what, right? I, I sort of projected forward two years from now, I'm now in a really good career with a really good lifestyle with a requirement, like an income requirement to support that lifestyle. And I'm working in a job that, again, it's fine. It's good. But it's, I, I don't do well with mediocre. I don't do well with fine. I don't do well with good. I need more than that. And so my options were take this job with this guy and be safe and secure or be uh go out and do my own thing and risk being broken homeless forever. Um, and I, at the time I had no physical address. I had, um, I had a beat up car and, uh, everything I owned was in it. And, uh, and I decided instead of taking the safe route, um, I, I would do something that meant something to me. Wow. So, um, so yeah, of all the, of all the crazy bets I've ever made, it turned out the safest one was on me. Okay, that just gave me goosebumps. It, yeah, what a great quote. Of all the bets I've ever made, the safest one was on me. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. Of all the crazy bets I've ever made, that was the safest one. I like also that. had the highest return on investment because I'm pretty proud of myself. <laughs> like, I mean, look, I look back, I go, that was dumb. Like, that's that is not the smart thing. That's not the practical thing. Right. But in my organization, it's status flow, the book, all of it is like we don't do practical. Don't bring me practical. Bring me absurd, ridiculous. Bring me fantastic, spectacular, impossible. That's what we're going to do. So tell us a little bit about what your organization does. Well, I I now do for, you know, we now do, there's a team of us, we now do for other people what, what I was able to do for myself. You know, people that are living the fine life, the good life, you know, it's like, okay, this is good. You know, how are you? I'm good. You know, how's the family? Oh, they're fine. Everything's fine. But there's no charge in that, right? That is that really living? Are you living your best life? You know, back in my single days, I would laugh at like the online dating profile and everything and say, I'm living life to the fullest. Are you, are you really? <laughs> really? So how'd those first dates go when you asked that question? <laughs> I am not, well, I, I really, I'm not wired to be in a relationship. I mean, my, my girlfriend and I are basically saving two other people. That's, really <laughs> that works. That's awesome. So it's awesome you found that person, two, Chris. And wherever you are. <laughs> oh, a lot of people can probably relate to that too. I know. <laughs> okay. That's, I mean, that's part of my magic, right? Is that, and I understand this about myself is I am seriously screwed up, like psychologically. I know how dysfunctional I am. You know, I'm probably a borderline sociopath. I mean, I'm really messed up and I get it right. I understand how to work with that. And even one of my clients said, you know, what, Chris, I, what I love about you is that you don't come from on high. You're not like, Oh, I got it all figured out. You're in this every single day. 
you know, and I, and I, I, I do that with every aspect of my life. I mean, I've done, I've done the rage, I've done the addiction, I've done the homeless thing. I've done the, I mean, I've done it all, you know, so I, I get it. So with that said, um, I want to talk about art. One of the biggest things that I would say, or the big, biggest challenges our clients have is what we call head trash. Um, mm-hmm. It's their own stuff, I think, a lot of times, which really is fear that leads them to not have that dream that they want. They want to get out of mediocre. They want to get out of fine. They want to get out mm-hmm. of good, but they can't do it. So, Or they don't think they can. They don't think they can. So what are some things you would say to these people that struggle with that? Well, I'm, we're all about tools. And so the, the two, the two tools that I will offer for fear in particular, uh, are number one, you got to understand what fear is and how to leverage it. And number two, a massive helping of personal responsibility. Um, fear comes from a belief system, right? Everybody has an operating system in their head, just like a phone or a computer has a, has an operating system. So does a human, we call it a belief system. And that's where your fear is coming from. Uh, everything you believe is a choice, right? Your beliefs are choices that you have not taken responsibility for. And when you take full responsibility for your choices, for those beliefs, you get to believe whatever you want. And if you're going to achieve the impossible, if you're going to achieve your goals, you don't have the luxury of selecting, making choices, right? Selecting beliefs that do not align with the outcome, right? So through the lens of personal responsibility, whether or not you believe you're good enough or you deserve it or you can, these are all choices. And so when I, you know, when I work with a client, I say, look at the, look at the belief here. This is the belief that you're telling me you have. Is that aligned or misaligned with the outcome? It's misaligned. Great. Then you have a different choice you need to make. It's that simple. It's not easy. It is very simple. Now, the other piece that I'll offer is that you got to understand what fear is. Um, fear and excitement through the lens of neurobiology and physiology uh, are the exact same thing. Your body and your brain do not know the difference between fear and enthusiasm. So there's a there's a chemical in the brain called norepinephrine, and um, and that's what's kicking when you're afraid of something, right? It's it's a focusing chemical. Okay, so if you're walking through the woods and you see a bear, norepinephrine is gonna you know like you're gonna forget the birds and the trees and all the pretty things. You're all you're gonna focus on is the bear. That's more norepinephrine focusing you. Uh, it speeds up muscle reaction. Sometimes it's called noradrenaline. So you can think of it that way too. Um, but when you're excited about something, it's the exact same neurochemical cocktail. So if you can, instead of focusing on the doom and gloom negative thing, oh no, I'm going to be broken homeless. I've been there, done that. Um, <laughs> you focus on what what you want, the excitement, right? Like, ooh, like I'm going to take my eye off broken homeless, put my eye on the ball, like, ooh, big mansion or whatever the thing is you want, right? And you even say out loud, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited three times. And all of that fear that paralyzes, it polarizes, right? It, it goes to the other side and it becomes wind in your sails. So with, okay, in that process though, and you talk about this in your book, there's discomfort. And we talk about that with our clients. And, yeah. and, and we always say, get comfortable being uncomfortable. So talk a little yeah. bit about that discomfort, um, that it's okay and and kind of how to work through that as well. Well, you said it very well, Roxanne, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, Humans are hardwired to be comfortable, 
All right. We're designed, we're designed to conserve energy, right? So being comfortable, it's like, if you start running, say, I'm going to run a mile at like 30 steps. You're like, okay, that's enough. Um, so, and that's just your, your, your psychology and your physiology working against you. Remember what I said earlier, it's, it's getting your psychology and your physiology work for you instead of against you. Um, so the, the, the trick there is to be okay with the discomfort, right? Growth doesn't happen in your comfort zone. Magic doesn't happen in your comfort zone. Um, what I say is that, look, it's, it's going to scare the, if it doesn't scare the hell out of you, you're, you're not thinking big enough anyway. Mm. Um, we tell our clients but this that is a lot. People, you should right? be scared. You know, this is yeah, normal. It's got to scare the shit out of you, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> it's a big decision. So, but look, people are, humans, we are generally more comfortable in an awful reality that's familiar mm -hmm. than we are in a beautiful reality that's unfamiliar. This is why lottery winners tank their lives. Most of them, 10 years later, they're a mess, right? Because we just, we got to stay in that comfort zone. So you got to learn how do I transcend that to where the uncomfortable becomes comfortable because that becomes your new baseline. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's why people will stay in relationships that aren't good for them. It's, it's just right. that once again, it's that comfort zone. And sometimes I equate that to the job you're on too, is kind of like that bad relationship, but it's your, it's what you know. And making a change can be to go into something that you're unfamiliar with can be hard. So you just, if, if it's going to be hard either way, you stay with what you're doing that's hard versus making, you know, going and trying something new that's hard. <laughs> You're it's, right. It's They're worse hard than in different hard. ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's worse than hard. It's actually unconscious most of the time, you know? I mean, 87% of people diagnosed with a lifestyle-related illness will not be able to make a change. People would rather die than change, right? That's wow. the first part. The other thing is that you're making about, you're, you're going to make about 35,000 decisions today. 98% or something are going to be completely unconscious. This is why you're on the hamster wheel. This is why reality yeah. today is the same as it was yesterday and the same as it will be tomorrow. So when you bring conscious awareness to what was unconscious, you can start to make pivots. Wow. Well, let's kind of pivot this a little bit. Um, I mentioned this to you when we were prepping for this call. There's a lot of times where um, we work with, a lot of times we work with spouses and the other spouse is not involved in the process and could have some fear. And I always say that if you're you're going to take, you know, I don't know, a hundred to three hundred thousand dollars and invest it in something, that's something you really need to bring your spouse on board with. I mean, that's not just something you drop a bomb on them one day saying, hey, we're going to do this. Right. So so for people that have that spouse that might be a little bit unwilling, you know, just kind of this whole subject, are there any. Is there any advice you would have for somebody in that situation and why it's important to involve the spouse? Yeah, if you're not willing to involve your spouse, then you need to understand what the problem really is, right? You have a trust problem, most likely, right? You don't trust this person um, or you don't think they trust you, but something's going on in the relationship. Um, you know, getting what, getting what you want, in my experience, uh, especially doing it quickly, uh, we, we talk about speed and, and getting what we want. It's a, it's a function of, Speed is, is thought of as a function of horsepower, but it's also a, it's also a function of friction and weight. And so something like this, where you have a dynamic with people that won't talk to each other or they're afraid, that creates friction, which is going to slow you down. Um, there are ways 
not only can you get your own psychology and physiology to work for you instead of against you, you can get other people's psychology and physiology to work for you instead of against you if you understand how this works and, and how how to frame things, how to phrase things, how to create the how to create the reality that you're looking for. Um, but ultimately, feelings drive actions. And always, that's just basic neuroscience. There's always a feeling that precedes any action you take or, or if you choose not to take an action, there's a feeling associated with that. Um, and so what is the feeling that is preventing somebody from having that conversation with their spouse? Because that's going to tell you a lot about what's going on in that, in their head and in the relationship. I think what I um, struggle with sometimes, and it's just uh, an unfortunate scenario where the one spouse that wants to be the business owner has confidence in himself or herself and wants to move forward, but the spouse is the one with the fear and cannot overcome that fear and won't support it. So we've had situations where one person was ready to move forward or excited and had had that confidence in themselves to do it, but the spouse, unfortunately, was too fearful. And we tell them, if your spouse does not support you, we don't encourage you to move forward with this business. But then Mm -hmm. it's just, I guess, the question, we can't force the spouse to support them. And to your point, there's other underlying concerns or issues, but it just is kind of, uh, it makes me sad that a client is held back from following through with their goals and expectations and hopes and dreams, basically, because of a fearful spouse that doesn't want to come on board and support them and encourage them. We, you don't need mm-hmm. a discourager when you're starting business. You need a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. And if your spouse sure. isn't willing to do that, then it's not, not the right time. Yeah, you you uh, you two open up a quite the can of worms with this one because there's there there are a lot of rabbit holes I can go down. Um, I tend to steer clear of relationship specific stuff, at least romantic partnership stuff, simply because I'm I'm oriented towards abandoning those kinds of things. That's because that's that's just my dysfunction, right? My history, my upbringing. Um, so uh, the abandonment of a relationship is you know frighteningly easy for me. Um, I will say this much. The, the, my framework is that you are the universe experiencing itself. Okay. You're, you're not so much like call it a soul, a human being that possesses a soul. You're a soul having a human experience. And there is something in the universe that wants to be experienced through you as you, whether it, and it's that heartfelt desire, it's that business that you really want to launch. Like there's so much fire in there. Like, you, you know, you can feel it in the core of your being. That is the universe wanting to bring something through you. And there's a bigger responsibility we have, again, in my framework to that. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than our ego construct. Cause the things that you're, we're talking about here are all ego construct stuff. And it's like, I have a bigger responsibility to the universe than my little ego is, you know, Chris King. Um, we have a new program right now at, at Status Flow that it's just, this is not me. It's not for me. It's not about me. It's coming through me. And it's for that. It's for everybody else that it's involved in and for whatever's trying to come through them. So I would say, you know, to somebody in that experience, how bad do you want this? Like, how important is this? Is this like when I went after radio um, and when I launched my company, it was a moral imperative. I will die rather than not have this. I, I mean, they have it or I'm going to die trying because you can die of something or you can die for something. That's the only way you can die. So Chris, we are going to encourage 
are clients that have belief systems that are trying to push them in the wrong direction from where the universe is trying to take them to read your book. Uh, once again, it's renegotiate your existence, unlock your impossible life. It's an amazing book. Chris writes really well. I've got, um, I don't know if anyone can see it, but I've got pages folded down. I've got highlights. I've got underlines. It's available on Amazon. Um, really encourage. I think this book can help everybody because we all have stuff and stuff that holds us back. So, we appreciate you coming on today and visiting with us. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you or in touch with you, how would they do that? Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you know, getting me to talk about this stuff is easy. Getting me to shut up is the trick. So uh, <laughs> you can go to statusflow.net. We're on Instagram at the status flow. Or you know what? Email me, chris at statusflow.net. That's awesome. wonderful. Thank you so much. It has really been a pleasure uh, visiting with you today and getting to know you. And I'm looking forward to reading the book myself. Thank you all for joining us on episode 29 of Unpredicted Entrepreneur. Again, I am Sarah Wasco. It's W-A-S-K-O-W. -W, joined by my colleague Ro Roxanne Rapsky, R-A-P-S-K-E. Please look us up on LinkedIn. We're very active there. We would love to connect. You can also um, download other podcasts where, wherever you get your podcast. And please find us and subscribe to our YouTube channel at FranNet of Dallas, Fort Worth, and Oklahoma. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great day. Bye-bye.